Let's open our Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 12. I'd like to give you a few more details of this uh, one we find here, this wonder in heaven, a woman that we spoke of, and identified as Israel. And uh, let's read again just a little bit from chapter, in chapter 12 from verses 1 through uh, 5 at least right now, and then we'll pick up with our thoughts. It says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and has cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was, was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, now listen carefully to the description, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Now then, we gave you in our last lesson the fact that the only other place in the Bible that you find the, the sun and the moon and the twelve stars pointed out is in Genesis chapter 37 where it speaks of Jacob and then it says Israel. I think it's verse 1 speaks of Jacob and verse 4 speaks of Israel in the 37th chapter. And then this story is of Joseph uh, and his dream and the interpretation of that dream. And uh, Israel came to the conclusion after Joseph's dream of uh, all the sheaves of the field bowing down to him. And uh, he came to the conclusion that Jacob came to the conclusion that what Joseph's dream meant says, shall I, the son, would be Israel, and thy mother, the moon, and the twelve stars, and there were eleven brothers besides Joseph, it says the eleven stars there, the eleven, bow down unto you, because Joseph himself would be the twelfth. And this is the only other reference in the Bible that will show you that this pertains to the nation of Israel. Now then, we've said before that many tried to make this woman that's spoken of here, Mary, the Virgin Mary. Now I want to give you some reason before we interpret some more things about this, why it could not be Mary. You know, sometimes you have to exclude those that pretend to be. And why it could not be Mary, because look at verse 6. It says, now after the, after the man-child was brought forth, in verse 6 it says, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a, a place prepared of God that they should feed her there three, uh, a thousand two hundred and three score days. That's three and a half years. Well, we know that this could not be true of the Virgin Mary because there's a time element here that is pointed out. And, it, uh, and if you notice another thing, uh, that... It is that she's going to flee into the wilderness. And if you look at the last part of verse 5, I want you to notice a gap theory here in verse 5. Look at verse 5. And she brought forth a man-child. We said it's the nation of Israel. 
who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. We know this identifies as Jesus Christ himself. But now look, right after it says a rod of iron, you might just put a gap there of at least 33 years because it says, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. So if this is Christ and Christ's birth, the reason it could not be Mary is because here you have a gap. You have a gap in the whole thing pointing out the fact that uh, her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. There's a, a portion of Scripture here, all of Christ's life and death is looked over, is skipped over. It's just Christ's birth and His ascension. And then here's another gap. Notice, uh, it says, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God. We know that this relates to Israel during the tribulation period. So you have the whole of the Christian age passed over between verse 5 and verse 6. Because in the book of Revelation here, in the context of what we're talking about, see this gap that's here? From the time Christ ascended up to heaven, all the way through this church age, until the tribulation period, when this woman, Israel, is fleeing into the wilderness, you have at least, well, even now, say 2,000 years. Between verse 5 and 6. It's very evident. And we're going to go on down and read uh, her protection during the uh, time that she will uh, be protected during the tribulation period. Israel as a nation. In the Old Testament, many times Israel is looked upon as a married woman. In Isaiah 54 verse 5, she's considered to be a widow. In Isaiah 47, verse 7 through 9, she is uh, spoken of as being divorced. We won't turn to all of these, but just I'll just give you the thoughts. She is considered to be married to the Lord. Israel as a nation. Israel is a man, of course. But Israel as a nation is spoken of in the feminine term. Because she is married to Jehovah. So Isaiah 54, verse 5 shows her as a widow. 47 verse 7 through 9 shows her as divorced. And in Jeremiah chapter 3, she's seen as an adulterous wife. And also in the book of Hosea chapter 2, all of Hosea chapter 2 shows us that. An adulterous wife. Israel is considered having departed from God as one that has gone away from God unto some other lovers. And uh, you can read the context of those. So it, it helps us to understand when God speaks of the nation as a her. Now you have uh, Jeremiah chapter 3, read it all, and also uh, Hosea chapter 2. The book of Hosea is very good about that. There's other scriptures, and you'll probably find them in your margin if you're looking at those. So we've already concluded that it could not be the Virgin Mary. We know that Physically, and according to the flesh, she did bring forth Christ. But the nation is what's in view, not the person. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. We know that Christ was born of Mary. We know the Scripture teaches that uh, He was born of her. But we also know that the Scripture teaches that Christ came of Israel. 
and uh, came of her as a nation. And we gave you the scripture in uh, Romans chapter 9, if you will. Romans chapter 9 and verse 5. Well, let's read verse 4 and 5. Romans 9, verse 4 and 5. And we're kind of retracing our steps, but we want to point out a few more details that we didn't cover in our last lesson. And I think repetition is the art of learning, so if we repeat it tonight, it'll help you to understand it better anyway. In verse 4, notice what it says. Uh, Paul is speaking and he says, Who are the Israelites? So this is who he has in view. The Israelites. 9-4. Romans 9-4. Now he says, To whom pertaineth the adoption? These things are the the blessings of, of Israel above the Gentiles. To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law. All these things pertain to Israel. And the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers? Now then, verse 5 says, And of whom, look, And of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Who is over all. He's to be the ruler over all, isn't he? And who, as concerning the flesh, Christ came. So you have that scripture as well as others we could give you, but there's no, we, we've already rehearsed part of this uh, and given you this information before. So you see that when the woman is spoken of here as bringing forth a man-child that shall rule the nations with a rod of iron, we know it's none other than Christ, and we know that the woman is not Mary because there's things said of this woman that cannot apply to Mary, though Mary did literally bring her forth as an individual, yet it's the nation that's in view. The nation that's in view. And this will become more evident as we uh, look at more Scripture in this very passage, as we uh, expound it and look at it. It will become very much more evident. Now, we know that uh, some people say, well, it's the church. It's the church that's spoken of here. It's the sun and the moon and the stars. And they say the sun, uh, you know, uh, is Christ. And the moon we represent uh, or reflect the glory of Christ. The moon reflects the glory of the sun, doesn't it? And the twelve stars, they would represent the apostolic company. And they speak of, of the church. But the church did not give birth to Christ. Christ established the church. You see, you couldn't say that the church gave birth to Christ. This woman, whoever she was, Israel, Mary, or whoever, gave birth to Christ, right? Well, the church couldn't give birth to Christ because Christ established the church. That's just absolutely contrary to any reasoning in the Scripture. So, we've eliminated the fact it was Mary as a person. We, we know she was of the nation of Israel. But uh, it's the nation that's in view, the nation of Israel. And uh, we've eliminated the fact it could not be the church because Christ established the church. And she, she could not give birth to Christ. And then there are uh, various cults. And we I think we told you that the... Uh, Christian scientists claim that their founder, Mary uh, Baker Eddy, and by the way, she had uh, three husbands, Glover and Patterson, Eddy, Glover, and Patterson. And uh, so we uh, find that they make an absurd claim that their founder, the Christian scientist, she's the founder of the Christian scientist 
uh, cult, and I don't hesitate to call them a cult, uh, they claim that she is that woman that's spoken of here. Now, how ridiculous can you be? And there are other, there's another church that was in England that had a woman uh, leader that they claimed that she was the one that was spoken of here, the woman here in Revelation. So all of those things are just too far out. So you find that the uh, sun and the moon and the stars are typical of the nation of Israel. And uh, in verse 2, let's read it again. You have Revelation 12, verse 2. It says, And she being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. Now verse 3 says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, uh, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now Satan here is identified. By the way, if you want to know who this is, just drop down to verse 9 and, and this person, this uh, dragon is identified. Look down in verse 9, 12 verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil... And Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Remember, he drew a third part of the stars of heaven with him. Uh, So we find here that uh, there comes a time that he will be cast out. Uh, Actually, he was cast out of the heavenlies. He was cast out of God's presence before in the Old Testament. And Isaiah speaks of the fall of Lucifer. And so does Ezekiel. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, if you want those two. It's very easy to remember if you say Isaiah 14, twice 14, and Ezekiel chapter 28. Try to put numbers and things together so you can remember. Uh, anyway, what I wanted to say is that there were, uh, the devil was really cast out of God's presence. And yet, God has permitted Satan, even in the book of Job, remember? That Satan could enter back into the presence of God as an accuser of the brethren. Right here in the context, in Revelation 12 verse 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser, look here, the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So there's finally going to come a time that he will not be able to accuse the brethren anymore. But God has permitted, though He was cast out initially from God's presence, because He wanted to exalt Himself above the throne of God, yet all of this interval between the Old Testament, the New Testament, and even in this day and hour, in Paul's day, he says we wrestle not, Ephesians chapter 6, let's see, is it verse 12? Uh, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against uh, principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places or in the heavenlies. So even to this present hour, the devil is an accuser of the brethren. But one day in the book of Revelation here we're studying, in the context of Revelation and the things of the future, there will be a time that the Lord will put an end to the devil and cast him out of the heavenlies so he won't have any more access to the heavenlies to accuse the brethren. And he will be cast down to the earth, as it says here 
in verse 9, he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Right now, today, he's known as what? He's known as the God of this world. He's known as the prince of the power of what? The air. He still has access to the heavenlies to accuse God's people. Not the very place of God's abode, but he can come up into some way into God's presence to make accusation. We know he's cast out of God's very presence as his abode. He doesn't have that abode with God anymore like he had before he was cast out and before he fell. So, there's a lot of things to learn about Satan. Now, remember here, by the way, the horns and the diadems here in verse 3, seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns upon his heads, the horns in these crowns represent the demon power. The demon's powers. And works against Israel is what he does. He works against Israel in a demonic way. Here in the book of Revelation chapter 12, when he fights the woman Israel, he's trying to destroy her, as he always had. He seeks to destroy Christ, the seed of the woman. He sought to destroy Christ when Jesus literally was born of Mary. Remember Herod? And he killed all the uh, the male children. And it says all the children, but at least all the male children. Uh, from two years old and under in an attempt to get rid of Jesus. And then we find furthermore that... Uh, he has always sought to destroy the seed of Christ. Even to prevent Christ to be born. In the Old Testament, time and time again, the devil sought to destroy that godly line from whence Christ would be born. And from whence Christ the promise was made that He would come. All through the Old Testament. And it's no different during this day and age of grace. He's still after God's people. Uh... Think of all the onslaughts against the Jews as a nation and as a people. Look at uh, World War II. Look at Hitler and what he did and how many millions of, of uh, Jews were killed. And there have been other attempts through the ages to get rid of God's earthly chosen people. And he's still trying to destroy uh, the Christian element, God's uh, people uh, that are the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Uh, remember the nation of Israel itself only came into being again after so many hundreds and hundreds of years in this last century, 1948 of this, this century. And they were not a nation. They were scattered all over the world. The devil was still trying to destroy them and to confuse them. And here, after the 144,000 we read in chapter 7 are sealed of every tribe of Israel, he still is after them. So we see his purpose in verse 3. And uh, in verse 4 we see his original fall, but it is indicative of his final fall too here in the context of Revelation chapter 12. His tail, verse 4, drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon uh, stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And he attempted that when Jesus was born, when the Messiah came. And, of course, he's been after Christ and his seed uh, since then. And verse 5 again, And she brought forth 
a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. In verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place, hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Now remember, that the devil in the form of, we, we might say the Antichrist, is going to come on the scene and try to destroy and fight against Israel all during the tribulation period. And this, this uh, fight and this intensity will increase in the last three and a half years. That's why it mentions where she would be protected. Look, she should be fed or taken care of there for a thousand two hundred and three score days. That's three and a half years. In fact, we're using round figures of 30 days in each month. And of course, 42 months times 30 days is 12, 1260 days. And that's the equal to three, uh, three and a half years. And it's in general terms that you're speaking of. We know that if you multiply the, the days actually, uh, out, you would come up with 12, 172 days over a period of three and a half years. But uh, that's not the way it's spoken of here. It's usually using round numbers and general terms of 30 days, a month, and years. Now then, if you look at the next verse, verses 7 through 12, there was war in heaven and Satan was cast out of, of heaven. Now this will be his final doom. He will be cast out or at least his final exit from heaven and the heavenlies. And he will no longer be able to accuse the brethren. He will no longer be able to accuse Israel. He will no longer be able to uh, have access in that fashion. So, verse 7 says, And there was a war in heaven. Uh, there was war in heaven. Michael and his archangels, uh, Michael and his angels, fought against the dragon, rather. Uh, and the dragon fought and his angels. So the devil is warring. <coughs> with with the good angels. Michael's the head of the good angels. Michael and his angels. And then uh, you have the dragon, which is Satan. We've already identified him in verse 9. And his angels. And this war takes place. And as it takes place, he says, And prevail not. Neither was there place found any more in heaven. This is the end of his... Uh, access to the heavenlies. If you read Ephesians 6, we quoted it to you that he now is the prince and the power of the air and he, he's uh, uh, principalities and powers uh, against which we wrestle and not against flesh and blood. And that's Ephesians 6 and verse 12. Now then, it goes on to say in verse 9 and we've already read it. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. And he goes by all these names. So remember, the great dragon, in verse 3, was called the red dragon. Red because of blood and because of the, the hurt that he causes to mankind. And here that great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He's a deceiver. He was cast out into the earth. And what? And his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. 
Now then, I want you to notice, there's three and a half years that this woman will be uh, taken care of and protected. The last half of the seven years, you have two, three and a half year periods. You have the tribulation in the great, we know it is the great tribulation. The last three and a half years is known as the great tribulation. Now then, uh, here, we, there's so many things that run through my mind that I want to give you references multiplied that I can't stem on all of them at the same time. So let's take one at a time. Here, first of all, see that this conflict, Paul tells us, and we've already referred to that, that this conflict between God's people and, and, uh, and the devil continues to this very day. Don't mistake, it's still going on. There will be a time in the future that it will come to an end. And when it says, now has come, look at verse 10, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. The now refers to the end. Now listen. The now will be when Jesus comes in power and great glory just before the millennium. So even though John is speaking of it here in Revelation 12, the actual happening of it is when Christ comes at the end of that three and a half years. We've already indicated that the woman is going to, to be protected for three and a half years. Israel will be protected for three and a half years. So, the now would have to be at the end of that time. Even though we're reading it verse by verse here. So, you see what we're looking at is something that's recorded here. Something that's predicted but when it says, now has come salvation in all this, in verse uh, 10, it, in the kingdom of Christ, it's going to be when Christ comes. And that appears, that happens, His appearing is in Revelation chapter 19. So we're, as we said, all of the things you read in the book of Revelation are not written in chronological order. You find that it speaks of it here, but it really happens in Revelation 19, when Christ comes back again. And then it will be said, true, now has come salvation. Now is the old accuser of the brethren will be cast out. All of this will happen simultaneously at the coming of Christ in Revelation chapter 19. I'm trying to make this as simple as I can. I hope it's not being too difficult. But anyway, we'll do the best we can. So... Uh, Let's follow it on down now. These, it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. This is speaking of the martyrs during the tribulation that will overcome Christ. How they overcome him? By the way, the same way that you and I overcome. By the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, they loved not their lives unto death. Of course, they were killed. I hope we don't have to go that far. But in that tribulation period, they will be. And we, if you remember way back in the, the uh, sixth chapter, when the fifth seal was open, see there were four seals and there were the riders upon those four horses, and then the fifth seal was open. And under the fifth seal, you had what? Souls under the altar. Remember that? Revelation chapter 6. And when the fifth seal was opened, these souls under the altar, saying, God, when, when will it be that you will avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? 
They were looking down to the earth and say, we were killed because of the Antichrist, because of the devil, because of this red dragon, because of all this terrible thing that was happening through Satan's influence. And when are you going to avenge our blood? And, and the Lord said, you wait for a while until your brethren also that will be killed like you were. And of course, that would include the rest of the tribulation period and even this that we're reading here. Look, verse 11 again. 12 verse 11. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They loved uh, not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell uh, in them. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. He got a very short time. And he knows his time is limited during that period of time. So he will bring every uh, demon, every uh, evil purpose, everything he can to bear uh, in pressure and opposition against God's people. And especially against the nation of Israel. And we know that there are going to be Gentiles saved during the tribulation too. So he's going to bring his trouble. Not only against Israel first of all and primarily. But he's going to bring it upon anyone who would confess Christ. During that tribulation period. My, you know, let's stop for just a moment. There's so many things I want to say about this chapter. But let's stop for just a moment and think of how easy... Simply by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, a person can be saved eternally today. Amen. And yet then, the devil's power and the demon's influence and all of the onslaughts of Satan will be so uh, going out, meted out, to anyone who would desire salvation that they risk their own very life to accept Christ during that particular time. Now, that's why we ought to be about the Lord's business, isn't it? Because today and uh, now is the opportunity for for people to be saved by grace through faith without the risk of their life. Now, we know in some parts of the world it's already getting to the place that there are great dangers in confessing Christ as your Savior. We know that in Various parts of the world. There's still that threat. But it will be intensified and it will be so much more after the saints are gone and then uh, from, the, uh, from this earth and that tribulation time begins. Jesus says, you know what Jesus said about it in Matthew 24? And by the way, it, it's Israel in view. Maybe we'll turn back there in just a moment. He says, except those days should be shortened or limited, we might say, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, who is the elect? God's Israel is the elect during that uh, time. Uh, But he says, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened or they will be limited so that the devil will not have time to get rid of all of uh, God's people. Uh, Let's turn to Matthew 24. This is something I think we should take into consideration. Uh, Let's begin reading with verse 9. Then shall they deliver you up 
Look at this. To be afflicted and, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endureth, uh, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Well, now then, people take that out of context and say, well, now you and I, if we're going to be saved, we have to endure to the end. Jesus is talking about a great tribulation. Now, drop on down in verse 22. You still have it? Matthew 24. Drop on down to verse 22. And except those days... Uh, well, let's read verse uh, 21. For then shall be great tribulation. We're talking about great tribulation. Such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So he's talking about the greatest that ever shall be. So we know that's talking about the great tribulation. Now look at this, verse 22. And except those days uh, should be shortened, <coughs> there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. The, before the elect's sake, those days will be limited. The believing Jews here are the elect. This Jesus is speaking of. And for their sakes, those days shall be limited during the tribulation period. And all of these, by the way, let's drop back up. You still have Matthew 24? In verse 14... It says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall what? The end come? You see verse 14? Okay. What is he saying? Even after <coughs> the saints are gone, that's Revelation chapter 4, even after the church is gone, and the 144,000 <coughs> sealed Jews... This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 24 of that great tribulation period. How many times have you heard some evangelists today say, well, the church can't be gone till this gospel reaches around the world, and we've got to reach around the world with a gospel before the church will be gone. Not so, friend. Don't have to do that. Jesus is talking about this gospel of the kingdom, and this will be after the church is gone, and it will be preached around the world for a witness, and it will be preached by His chosen elect, the 144,000, His chosen uh, witnesses, and they will preach during that tribulation period, and He says it will be preached, and then shall the end come. And He tells us some more things. You have, it's very important. Matthew 24, verse 15. Look at verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Who? Daniel. Stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. By the way, when you read it now, and when the Jews read it then, they'll understand what Daniel was talking about. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. You see, they will be, Israel, 
will be fleeing into the mountains from the onslaughts of Satan. And when the devil manifests himself and sits in the temple of God, Daniel speaks of the fact that the Antichrist will sit in the temple of God and proclaim himself to be God and to be worshipped. And he says, when this time comes and this abomination of desolation is set up, stand in the holy place, then they're, they're going to flee. The ones in Judea need to flee into the mountains. Let him that is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to his clothes, to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. Now then, someone say, well, this pertained to the time when uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. We know that when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D., it was a small picture, or at least a kind of a picture of what will be that great onslaught in the future time that we're, we're studying in the book of Revelation. It was just kind of a miniature of what's really going to happen then. And so what Jesus is really speaking of is a great tribulation. That may have been a picture of it and a kind of a preview of it. In, in a sense, they did undergo many of the things, but he's talking about that great tribulation because he tells us in the next few verses. Now, in verse 20, But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Why wouldn't you want your flight to be in the winter? Because of the difficulties of getting away from the onslaughts of Satan. For then, look at verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation. Now look, here's the intensity. There was tribulation when Titus destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. But look, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So he's talking about the greatest tribulation that will ever be. Now, when is that going to be? The greatest tribulation is the great tribulation that we know of in the book of Revelation. And you see where people get so mixed up is Matthew chapter 24 has nothing to do with the rapture at all. It has to do with God's people and the second coming of Christ, uh, God's people going through the tribulation, uh, Israel especially, the Jews. And it's talking about basically uh, the Lord's coming at the end of it, not Him coming for His own. On down in verse uh, 29, look at it. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, look, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light? Don't we find these things in the book of Revelation, and the stars shall fall from the heaven, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man, what? Coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When's He coming with power and great glory? Not when He comes for His own. He's going to catch them away. But when He comes in Revelation 19, He's coming with power and great glory. In Revelation 19, when Jesus comes back to this earth and judges a wicked world. And then He gathers together His elect from the four winds. And He takes them into the millennium in chapter 20 of Revelation. <coughs> There's a lot of things more that I want to say about that. Let's turn back to Revelation chapter uh, 12 again. 
And we're talking about down in verse uh, 12. In the middle of the verse it says, Woe Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. The shorter the time, the more determined the onslaughts of Satan will be during that tribulation period. The closer you get to the end, the more intensified will be his opposition. There's a lot of lessons we can learn from this tonight. Let's go on down. In verse uh, 13, And when the dragon saw that it was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman, Israel, which brought forth a man-child. Israel, brought, as a nation, brought forth a man-child. The man-child is Christ. The man-child is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. We discovered that earlier, didn't we? And that's... The nation brought forth a man-child. Verse fourteen says, "And the and to the woman there, uh, to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time." Now then, Daniel speaks of it in this, these terms: for a time, count that one year, and times that's two years, and a half a time. See, a time and times and a half a time. That's the three and a half years. David, David, uh, Daniel rather, speaks of them in these same terms. And here is spoken of as a time and times and a half a time. Or a year and two years and a half a year. Or twelve hundred sixty days. One thousand two hundred and sixty days. Or in other places, he's spoken of as 42 months. 42 months. So you have all these terms indicating the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. But look in verse 14 again. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle. Now then, how do we know about eagle's wings? Eagle's wings. Look in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 4. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 4. God speaking of the same nation and the same people. Let's read verse 1 and then verse 4. Verse 1 says, In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt. Now, Israel identified in verse 1. You have uh, Exodus 19 verse 1. Now then, verse 4. God says, He says, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you, who? Israel. How I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto Myself. So God used the same terms (coughs) applying to their deliverance from Egypt, the eagles' wings, as He does here in Revelation. Look at it again. Chapter 12. And verse 14, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. So the same wings and the same terms that are used in Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage are used here concerning uh, the nation and her deliverance from Satan's onslaughts in the book of Revelation. So a very important reference, and you should write it by verse 14, 
by 12, verse 14. You have Revelation 12, verse 14. You ought to write at least this reference. Exodus 19, verse 4. It ought to go right beside there. Exodus 19, verse 4. Now then. Down in verse 15. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Water here is symbolical of the hatred which Satan stirs up against the people amongst the nations. It's symbolical of the onslaught and of the uh, what he stirs up The hatred that he stirs up against not only Israel, especially Israel, but not only Israel because the Gentile nations will be included too. So, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away uh, uh, of the flood. Now then, verse uh, 16, and the earth helped the woman. You see? God had already had her to flee and was protecting Israel during the tribulation period, or will be, protecting her during these onslaughts of Satan. But now, He's going to use other agencies. You know, God has more than one arrow in His quiver. 